Christ's undying mercy awaits. We're trusting in His everlasting love. We are clinging to His unfailing grace. We are trusting in the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. The Bible tells us that the name of Jesus is the name above all names. Speaking of names, biblical names are really popular. My name, for example, Michael, is a very popular name. In fact, the year I was born, 1962, it hit its height of popularity. It's not uncommon to meet someone named Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Timothy, Paul, Bethany. Pretty common names. But you know who you don't run into? Someone named Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot Jones. It just doesn't happen. No one does that. Parents work hard at naming their kids. And no parent names their kid Judas Iscariot. Actually, though, some people name their kid Judas. One in 12,500 people are named Judas. Less than 200 people a year. Now, Judas is not the most common name. Now, Jude, great name. Judah, great name. But what a difference like two letters make. Judas, you got to be kidding me. Now, more people name their kid Messiah than Judas. Now, there's another issue with that. All sorts of complexes get uh, developed when you have your, na- your name is Messiah. Now, no one goes to Benedict Benedict Arnold Elementary School. There's a reason for that. Nobody brands their child with the name of a traitor. Today, we are going to see one of the most sorrowful scenes in the life of a man of sorrows. We're going to see the plan to betray Jesus. Judas plans to betray him. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 26. We're going to read verses 14 through 25. And if you can, please stand with me to read God's word. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. They were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, 
but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Let's pray. Lord God, there may be no more sober, terrifying words in all of Scripture than the ones we just read. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word today. That, Lord, we would see Jesus for who he is. That we would even see ourselves for who we are. And that we would desire above all else to glorify you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So the sermon is titled, Planning to Betray Jesus, Always a Bad Idea. The big idea here is that Judas planned to betray Christ. Now the actual betrayal is recorded later in this chapter, and the outcome of that in the next chapter. But what we're looking at here is the plan to betray Christ. Now Matthew's gospel is all about Jesus, the sovereign king who is worthy of our worship and adoration and praise. We are in the midst of our latest series within a series in in the gospel of Matthew. I've entitled it The Undiluted Gospel. The last three chapters of Matthew. It's undiluted in the story. It's pure. It's unfiltered. It's uncut. It's raw. As you can tell from, from here in our story today. But the cross is very dominant in these last three chapters. The record of Jesus' journey to the cross is one of the most moving in all of history. These words we read today are some of the most sad words in all the Bible. When you're talking about the undiluted, raw, unfiltered truth of the gospel, the gospel in all of its beautiful, glorious, awesomeness, and startling, uh, transforming glory, you can't just pick the good parts out. It's not like you're eating Moose Tracks ice cream and you can you know, pick out the, the little peanut butter cups or you can pick out all the avocados and chicken and the salad or whatever. Uh, you've got to take everything. So we have to deal with Judas. We don't want to deal with Judas. We want to pass over, skip Judas because it's too tough for us to think about. But we've got to deal with Judas. We've got to ask, what was his deal? What was the deal with Judas? The idea is he made a deal with Jesus' enemies. Look at verse 14. Then one of the twelve, that's the first thing that should catch your eye. This is one of Christ's disciples. This is one of his inner circle. This is one that had walked with him and talked with him and eaten with him and observed what he's been doing for three years. One of the twelve. That should make us stop in our tracks. That should make us very sober as we approach this passage. This is one of the twelve. And his name, very clearly, was Judas Iscariot. It wasn't the other Judas. It was Judas Iscariot. Now, in those days, lots of people were named Judas. Today, not very many. Here's why. Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I give him over to you? So he's trying to make a bargain, getting something for himself. We already know from John chapter 12 that he's a thief. He was the treasurer of the disciples. 
and he used to take money for himself. He says, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. The price for a common slave. If you owned an ox and it gored a slave to death, you would have to pay 30 pieces of silver and kill your ox. Judas Iscariot, the the name literally means man of Kirioth, the name of the cities between Judea and Moab, possibly making Judas the only non-Galilean of the twelve. Some people see in in his name a connection to the, the word for assassin. Other people see a connection to the phrase false one. But he purposed in his heart to betray Christ. You look in the New Testament and you look up the word for to betray someone. It, it's the, the Greek word paradidomai. It's 36 times in the New Testament. 33 of them are related to Jesus being betrayed by Judas. 30 pieces of silver. Now what does the Bible tell us about Judas? There's all these little bits and pieces of information about Judas. He was... A thief, we already saw that. He is called the son of perdition, the son of ruin. He is called by Jesus a demon. We know he is uncaring and disingenuous. He didn't really care about the poor, wanted money for himself. What did he do? Well, he bargained with Jesus' enemies. It's literally he, he bargained with terrorists. He negotiated with terrorists. He, he worked with kidnappers. He said, what will you give me? He figured, I'm going to get something out of this deal. Now, what was his motive? Biblically speaking, we do not know. that His motive is not told. It could be jealousy. It could be frustration over things not panning out the way he wanted. Possibly anger at being you know, corrected by Jesus in front of all the other disciples when, it, when uh, Mary anointed Jesus with the fragrant expensive perfume and judas is like what a waste we could have given this to the poor could have sold it and given it to the poor and jesus says don't trouble her you're wrong what she did was beautiful so maybe he's angry at jesus and he wants to get back at jesus we don't know why humanly he was doing this but what we see is that he played into the hand of the enemy he played into the hand of the devil he switched sides he was a mole he was a spy and he gave the devil a foothold in his life that's how deceptive sin is you 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 start committing a sin and and you get further and further down the road and one day you wake up and you don't even realize how you got there bible tells us that satan entered into judas iscariot that he put the idea in his heart to betray christ verse 16 from that moment on he gets the silver and from that moment on he seeks an opportunity to betray jesus he's looking for a chance to give him into his the hands of his enemies he's all opposed to christ now verse 17 tells us that it was on the first day of unleavened bread that the disciples came to jesus and said where are we going to celebrate the passover Where are we going to worship God, remembering his deliverance of his people from Pharaoh's hand in Egypt? Where are we going to do this? And Jesus didn't just say, well, we're going to go over to Joe's house, and we're going to do it there. He says, go to a house of a certain man, into a certain city, into the city, and just say, the teacher says, my time is at hand. 
Some people think this might be so that Judas wouldn't uh, have them arrest him then. That it was going to be a secret location so that Judas couldn't find opportunity at that point. We don't know exactly, but we do know this. Jesus saying, my time at hand, is at hand, shows that he is in sovereign control of all the events leading up to the cross. He says, I'm going to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So they do what Jesus says. They go prepare the Passover meal, this meal commemorating God's deliverance of his people. It's a worship meal. So verse 20 tells us that when they're eating, they're reclining at the table with the 12. They're not sitting in chairs. They're, they're reclining. That's what they did in those days. And Jesus says, he begins a sentence truly. That's the word amen. This is the way it's going to be. One of you will betray me. Do you think there were any more painful words for Jesus to utter while he was on earth? One of you, one of the 12, one of my close group, one of the disciples is going to betray me. What happens? They get very sorrowful. At least 11 of them do. 11 of them are, are grieved. And they begin to ask Jesus a question one after another. One one after another, they ask the same exact question. Is it I, Lord? The actual construction of that sentence is, surely it isn't me, is it? Because it, it basically expects a no answer, a negative answer. They're one by one. Matthew, Jesus, it's not me, is it? And Peter, Jesus, it's not me, is it? They're expecting him to say, no, it's not you, but they don't know. One by one, is it I, Lord? And he says, the one, verse 23, the one who dipped his hand in the dish with me. Well, now all 12 are still in the running. He hasn't eliminated anyone from contention of being the traitor, the backstabber, the one that was going to give him over to his enemies. They're all wondering. They're all wondering about themselves. Is it me? I like the fact that there's no finger pointing here. The disciples could have done that, you know. They, they were wired like we are. We like to do finger pointing, don't we? Verse 24, Jesus says, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. He's pronouncing a curse upon the one that would betray him. And he, he just said, The one who, who dips in the dish with me. They didn't use knives and spoons and forks in those days they would they would have a common bowl of food maybe it was filled with you know olive oil and figs and raisins and all sorts of great foods and and they would dip in in the bread and they would dip together and he's saying one of you the 12 he's not giving them up yet and then he says it would have been better for that man if he had not been born why would it be better because he was going to he was going to betrayed jesus it was going to show that he wasn't a believer he was going to go to hell he was going to be under the wrath of god he was going to have the full wrath of god poured out on him for his sin verse 25 finally it's judas's turn and judas asked the question is it i rabbi do you notice he didn't say is it i lord they all said lord authority he says, teacher, is it me? Is it me? You know, you never see 
Judas ever called Jesus Lord. You look through all the Gospels, he never calls him Lord. And Jesus answers to him, you have said so. You have said so. What does Judas' betrayal plan show us? What What do we see in this plan of Judas that we can identify with and say, wow, I get it. I see that it happened. Now what about me? What does it show us? I want you to first go to 1 Corinthians 10 because there's something there that is going to give us a little hint of what we should learn from Judas. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place, verse 6, as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did, nor be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things, verse 11, these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. A lot of people will say, you know, I need to make my own mistakes. That's how I learn best. God says, actually, you can learn really well from the mistakes of others. This is written so that we can learn not to do what they did. So what does Judas's betrayal plan show us? It shows us some things that we need to learn, that we need to get. And the first thing it shows us, I'll give you four things. The first thing it shows us is that it reveals a heart that is opposed to God. Hardness of heart. You might ask, well, was, was Judas always this way? My guess is he had a gradual hardening of his heart. Satan got a foothold in his life. One sin built upon another to the point that he was calloused. The the deception of sin is gradual and it increases. Calloused heart. Now, if you're a road biker, you ride a road bike, first thing you're going to realize is you need to do some practice runs so that your seat gets used to the bike seat. Uh, Sort of a callous needs to get built up because it's painful to sit on a road bike seat for you know 20 or 30 miles or in the case of some people i know insane amounts of miles like 50 or 100 or let's say that you're right you're playing guitar and you want to learn and you start with your fingering on the on the uh the strings the metal strings and they're cutting in there and you feel like they're gonna you know start bleeding or something you need to build up the calluses or let's say you're doing some, some good yard work. You know, you're doing some, some gardening. You, you build up calluses because you're, you're working hard and 
They don't, they don't break, they just get stronger. That's good calluses. Um, Judas's situation was bad calluses. That's what sin does to you. Hardened to the things of God, then he has a seared conscience. So he, he, he comes up with a plan. He comes up with a way. But here's the thing. He's opposed to Jesus. He gets 30 pieces of silver... I don't know if he put it at his house or if he had it in his, you know, in a, in a bag under his tunic or what, but he goes and sits at table with Jesus, pretending that he's going to worship God. Oh, we're here to celebrate the Passover feast. That's worshiping. And he's there looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. His heart is opposed to God. Look how far Judas went in this charade, the act of dipping his bread in, in the dish with Jesus. He's signifying friendship. I'm your friend, Jesus. Signifying solidarity. I'm with you, Jesus. No, he wasn't. You know, betrayal is, is bad. Family betrayal is, is the worst. I don't think any tre- treachery is worse than betrayal by a family member or a close friend. Julius Caesar knew such treachery. Among the conspirators who assassinated him, March 15th, 44 BC, was Marcus Junius Brutus. Caesar not only trusted Brutus, he favored him as a son. According to Roman historians, Caesar first resisted the onslaught of the assassins, but when he saw Brutus among them with his dagger drawn... Caesar ceased to struggle and pulling the top part of his robe over his face, he asked the famous question, you too, Brutus? You too? Now, Jesus Jesus knew all along who would betray him. But can you imagine the disciples' shock? We don't see any indication that they knew. They're like, is it me? Is it me? Can you imagine their shock when they figure out it's Judas? you Judas maybe they never suspected him obviously they didn't suspect him of of stealing from them when he was the treasurer no one confronts him about that no one confronts him about the plan with the 30 pieces of silver because nobody knew except him and God and the people that gave him the money scary but true A disciple of Jesus can betray Christ. A disciple of Jesus can betray Christ. Think about it. Anyone who says, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus. No one who says that is being held by God against their will. You want Jesus, you'll have Jesus. You you want to love Jesus from your heart, you will. Here's Judas insisting on doing the evil deed he was like a a pit bull with a tennis ball he wouldn't let it go he was so opposed to god he devalued jesus 30 pieces of silver a heart opposed to god that should make us stop and think you know psalm 41 9 the psalmist says what what really echoes Jesus' words. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. A heart opposed to God. 
The second thing this shows us is what was required but didn't happen in Judas's life but happened in the other 11 disciples. Repentance. It requires, what was going on requires repentance towards God. When Jesus says, one of you will betray me, everyone starts repenting. Even if they didn't do it, they're like, did I do it? Am I going to do it? I don't want to do it. Judas, on the other hand, was not phased by Jesus' warning. There is no bigger warning woe in all of Scripture than in verse 24. Woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. He's going to wish he'd never been born. Hard-hearted to the core, callous, given over to sin, Satan fills his heart with this plan. His true identity is revealed. You will not see Judas in heaven. Now, I like the fact that the disciples weren't pointing the finger at each other. I like the fact that the disciples were, were, were thinking about, is there something I need to confess? Is there something that I'm susceptible to doing that I don't want to do, even? You know what my number one frustration is with people who come to me for pastoral counseling? The fact that most of them are not broken over their own sin, they're pointing the finger at someone else because of their sin or presumed sin. I'm telling you, it happens nine times out of ten. Marital problems, family problems, workplace problems, any kind of human problems, people will come and say, if those people or if that person would just act differently or would just come clean, everything would be different. That is, that is sin deceiving people into thinking that if only someone else acted different, they'd be okay. We know what it's like, don't we? We all, we all are susceptible to live like this, always looking at someone else and saying, what's their problem? Our own need is to look at ourselves and see if we need to repent. So this, this situation we're looking at here in Scripture reveals a heart opposed to God, and it requires repentance towards God. None of it in Judas' life. There was no repentance. All the others are like, did I do something wrong? Now, this makes it really clear that you can know a lot about Jesus and not know him. A lot of people with biblical knowledge. A lot of people that have been around the church for a long time, but they don't know Jesus. They're the type of people that will come to Jesus with a whole long list of all the good things they've done, and Jesus will say, I never knew you. Heart opposed to God. Here in Judas, a lack of repentance towards God. The third thing is it's gonna, it reminds us that we need to examine our hearts before God. We need to do some really heavy self-examination. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Not 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. No, this is 2 Corinthians 13, the you're in big trouble if you don't do this chapter. All right? It's the, it's the less common Corinthians 13. People don't read this at weddings, Okay? Verse 5. And by the way, Paul starts by saying, I've come to you three times now. Third time's a charm here. Uh, I've come to you thir- three times concerning these things, and I'm, 
I, I'm, I'm going at you again here. I'm coming at you again. Verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. It basically means uh, examine yourself to see if you're really a Christian. Now, some people I know would say, well, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time and it's kind of foolish for me to even ask this question to myself, so I won't do it. I just won't do it. Well, if you don't, then you think you're better than Paul. Here's what Paul says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, he's speaking to to presumed believers, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And then he says, verse 6, I hope that you will find out that we have not failed the test. Paul's taking the test. If Paul takes the test, you should take the test. I should take the test. Everyone should take the test. There are plenty of self-examinations we will do on ourselves when the doctor asks us. Here's God saying, take a spiritual examination. Well, we need to examine our hearts before God. Only God knows those who belong to Him. Not a time for finger-pointing. It's a time for self-examination, just like the disciples. Is it I, Lord? Surely it's not me, is it, Lord? How do you test yourself to see if you're in the faith? 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, another letter that's written to Christians or to people that profess to be Christians, and it says this, the witness or the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. He hasn't given everyone eternal life. Christ doesn't live in everyone. He's talking about people who are really Christians, who are born again by the, by, by the Spirit of God and who are, are in love with Jesus and believe in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and His promised return, knowing they can't save themselves. They say, I'm, I can't ever be good enough. I've been trying so hard to be good, but I can't be good enough. Jesus is the only one that's good enough to get me to heaven. I'm trusting in what He did not what I can do. And, and he says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. If Jesus is in your life, then you know. Do you love Jesus? Do you do what he says? Do you obey him? Can you be convicted? Could you be convicted of being a Christian by someone observing your life and hearing your words and and watching you for a while? Not just in that one instance when you lose your cool or you you get angry and you say something you shouldn't or do something you shouldn't, but what in on the trajectory of your life, if they they see your life, it, can you be convicted of being born again? by the Spirit of God and being trusting in Christ, being a Christian. You know, we've all heard someone probably frustratingly say, you know, are you for real? You know, are, really? Are you kidding me? That's so out of character with who you say you are or who you claim to be. Now, you could look at the title of the sermon and say, hey, wait a minute. You said... Planning to betray Jesus, always a bad idea. And it only happened once. So what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is, sure, it only happened once before the cross, but people betray Jesus all the time. Who betrays Jesus today? I'll tell you who betrays Jesus. 
those who are in the inner circle of fellowship with Christians. People in local churches that churches that preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, people that lo- uh, churches that love Jesus, filled with people that love Jesus, that p- inside there is where betrayers come from. Go with me to Jude, the little letter right before Revelation. It's just one whole chapter in there. But I want you to look at, the, at verses 3, 4, and 5. You know, those who betray Jesus are pretending to know and love Jesus. They might even be deceived thinking that they know and love Jesus. And they crucif- by their actions, they crucify again the Son of God, as Hebrews 6, 6 says. But Jude 3 says, Beloved, so he's writing to Christians, those who profess faith in Christ too, although, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith you know, fight for the faith. Why? Well, it says here, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse four, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. So they're in the midst of you who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. These should be very sobering words to us. This didn't just happen back in the first century. This applies today. He says in verse 5, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. These are real things. These are real words. And they're real sober. Let me tell you the most sobering truth. If you're a Christian, or you're you're claiming to be a Christian, and I'm putting myself in this category, you do not know for sure that you will not betray Jesus. You cannot have 100% assurance right now that you will not be seen to be proven to be a fake. Because it isn't your words that makes the difference. Now, I am someone who firmly believes in eternal security that once someone is saved by grace through faith in Christ alone that they are eternally secure with Christ if they're truly saved I am one who is convinced that God gives those who are truly saved assurance of that salvation assurance of that eternal security but at the same time I'm also convinced that the Bible teaches that you don't know for sure if you're claiming to be a Christian if you won't be found to be a Judas. That's really, really sobering. And it's really, really true. Last thing I'll share with you then is number four. This should drive us to receive and cling to undiluted gospel truth. Look, it's very easy to condemn Judas. I mean, God does. He was a weed among the wheat, a wolf among the sheep, a fake among the real, a pretender, an imposter. He was acting. He wasn't the real deal. He was a pawn in Satan's hands. The gospel truth is Judas and his sin 
figured into the greater plan of God. His true character was exposed. He unwittingly became a part of God's sovereign orchestration of his plan of redemption. He was marked out for destruction long ago. Like Esau, he found no, no place for repentance. The gospel truth is God is sovereign and man is responsible for his own sin. Accountable for his own actions. Verse 24, by the way, reveals both sides of divine purpose. God is sovereign, man is responsible. The human element is not excused by by falling into some fatalistic view of sovereignty. Judas was responsible for his actions and would pay a a terrible price. He was not an innocent bystander. He was not a victim or pawn of God's sovereign plan. He was a full participant in some serious sinning. When you read this this passage of scripture, you should say, well, that's some serious sinning going on. John MacArthur says this, contrary to the perverted reasoning of some interpreters, the fact that this sinful act was used by God to provide salvation from sin did not justify Judas by making evil good. God's sovereignly turning evil to his own righteous purposes does not make a sin any less sinful or the sinner any less guilty. So, can anyone be a Judas? Absolutely. He was one of the twelve. He shared, he had his part. It was terrifying. Acts chapter 1, after the whole thing's over, and Jesus is, is uh, ascended to the Father and has promised to return, they're like, you know, remember what happened to Judas? He, he was with us, he shared with us, he had his part in this ministry, but we got to get someone to take his place because he went his own way. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the way uh, ends in death. That was Judas's way. No one but Jesus seemed to be aware of Judas's true condition. Judas was doing the slow fade, and the disaster was full and final. But the question we got to ask ourselves is: Am I a Judas or a Peter? There's a big difference between betrayal and denial. Denial is when is recoverable. Betrayal isn't. You know, there's a study that came out just recently that said one in five Americans say they don't know a Christian. They don't know a Christian. But let's just say they know you, and you say, I'm a Christian. The question is, are you for reals? Do you know if you are? If you don't, and you're going, I, I, don't, I really don't know. It's a, it's a great question to ask. Just... Uh, Later on today, read John chapter 15, 1 through 17. We've got to ask the question, are we for real? Or are we just playing games? Are we a Judas who is sinfully opposed and eternally lost, or a Peter who was sincerely wrong yet truly repentant and truly saved? Judas found no place for repentance. Peter did. We all sin, but we're not all getting saved. We all sin, but we're not all going to be repenting. We all sin, but we're not all going to be forgiven. Those are true words. Jesus' righteousness in contrast with Judas's sin. Here Jesus did the will of God and Judas was under the curse of God. Who did Judas resemble? Who did he, who did he look like? A lot of people in the midst of things would say, oh, he's, he's one of Jesus' followers. But in the end it shows he was of his father the devil. I was hiking this week and I 
I uh, passed these two ladies as I was going up this hill and as I was passing by one of them says to the other he looks like Rob and I'm thinking I hope Rob's not ugly I hope he's not a dork I hope he's just not like a really crazy guy but it got me to thinking Jesus who is Lord of all is also Lord of resemblances I want to look like Jesus Christians are being made to be conformed into the image of Christ which means as we go along we don't get perfect in and of ourselves but we become more like Jesus so the people would recognize him in us more often not less often isn't it interesting I don't know what the thing is but brand new baby Christians are often identified as followers of Christ but people who have been believers for a long time sometimes it's, it gets hazy a little bit it's hard to see hard to know it's hard to tell sin is deceptive and look i know that judas is an easy target okay here's a piece of work i mean i think we no no one's gonna make him their role model or or if they're in the right mind (laughs) well think about betrayal for with me for a moment what's so significant about it you don't betray a stranger you don't betray someone you don't know Betrayal necessitates a closeness and an association that is there. When you betray someone's confidence, it's because they trusted you to not do it. You tricked them. Now look, some of you may have a security system at your house, or some might just have a little sticker on your window and think, well, we'll just go with the sticker and try to fool the, fool the, the crooks, you know. The only security system against betraying Jesus True believers are going to go away from this and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. So what do I need to do? Just keep trusting Jesus. The only security system is humble trust in the, in the sovereign grace of God, the mercy of God. Trust in the name of Jesus. Love Jesus and you'll be safe. Love Jesus and you're safe. It's all about Jesus and the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is able to to keep us faithful. Lord, we've got to be on guard against unfaithfulness to you in our life. We want to confess our sins in any way that we've been unfaithful to you. But thank you, Lord, that you are able to keep us faithful. Even as Jude 24 says, you are able to keep us from stumbling and to preserve us for that day when you return. Lord, we, we want to give up our unrighteousness and our unrighteous ways and, and go with your righteousness. We know sin deceives and clouds and confuses and even blinds us to the gospel-transforming truth. Lord, may our hearts be right with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God and to his word. If, if maybe you don't, you don't know Jesus and you're like, wow, hmm, I want to make sure I do. I want to, I'm going to believe in Jesus and, and be saved from my sins. Then I want you to respond to that. You need, God wants you to respond to that. And anything else, if you're a believer, there's anything on your heart that you want to make right with God. There'll be people up here to, to pray with you. You might just want to, in where you are, resolve to be different you may want to write a little note to god you know whatever it is that that that, that, however you're wired that works for you 
You can come down the walk up here in front or you can talk to someone afterwards, but don't be secret about it at some point in this day. 